It's that dread, isn't it? That feeling, that voice that starts in your head. Quiet at first, but growing. And you try to push it away at first, don't you? You try to soldier on with your story because you, you've read the advice. You've read the advice that says it doesn't have to be perfect, just has to get done. All first drafts are shit. Just get to the end, then you can fix it later. So you keep going, but you slow down a bit because you can hear that voice and it knows you're not listening, so it starts to get a little bit louder. And sometimes haters... Haters going to hate, but sometimes haters going to make some valid points. And you're there. You're trying to write... What does this scene need? Is, it, is that a good sentence? And and the voice is getting louder. It's saying, no, that's bad. This has gone wrong. You are not doing a good job. Read that sentence back. That's not. Is, is this publishable? Are you even doing the right thing? And it just gets louder. And you try and keep going. But now it's like someone's sitting on your shoulder like a horrible crow whispering in your ear criticism and personal attacks because that's the thing maybe maybe you keep going maybe you think i'll just do hey hey shush 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 like i know i can make the style better but i'm going to keep going and then it starts turning its attention to you it says well wait a minute it isn't about the story because of course you wouldn't listen to me. Of course you wouldn't listen to me. You think you're fucking amazing, don't you? Who died and made you king of stories? Why do you write? Why do you write? Why are you turning up here and sitting down and writing this shit? How much have you got done in the last half hour? How much have you got done in the last week? And you call yourself a writer. You're not a writer. Do you honestly think, do you think this is what Neil Gaiman does when he sits down? Do you think this is what Stephen King does when he sits down? Do you think this is what J.K. Rowling does when she sits down to write? Do you think this is what any professional writer does? They're, they have books finished in three months. They bash them out. They sell loads. You've seen the queues of people lining up to get their books signed. You've seen the fan art. You've seen the people who, you know the books you love. Does this read like a book that you love, that a book that you want to pay money for? You'd want to be, who, who on earth do you think you are that you think people should pay for the privilege of being trapped in a room with you while you tell them stuff? Is it, there wasn't a knock on your door at 2am and a figure in the pouring rain handed you a gemstone and said here here is a chunk of raw creativity tell this story tell this story no you've just read some shit and thought oh, i could do that you let's be honest you don't even read that much you've watched some movies you binged on netflix a little bit and now suddenly you think you're the fucking lord of drama now you think oh i've got three acts stru structured down i can write this do you honestly fucking do you know how much of you it's not just your their time you're wasting it's your own Right? This is your life. What are you what are you doing with your life? That you're sitting in front of this computer and tapping out these fucking words. What, what at what point are you think this shit is gonna magically transform into a book? Who are you gonna send this to? How long are you planning for this to take you? You know you only get one life, right? And then you're gonna rot down into the soil. You are this temporarily sentient aggregation of beef and 
all of your memories are going to go with you. All of every memory and part of your life is going to disappear. And then the universe is going to wind down towards heat death. That's not supposition. We know that's going to happen. That's our scientists' best knowledge, right? And then stars are going to stop producing light. No new stars are going to be born. And then there is going to be an ultimate emptiness in the world. And you thought you would spend your one moment of sentience fucking writing a shitty story about what is this? About gnomes who live in Paris. What the fuck is wrong with you? When at what point did you make the series of determinations? What look tell what run me through this, right? Walk me through the series of steps that uh, that led you to this point where you were sitting down going, I can fucking do this. What evidence have you got that you can do this? And, and just ex why exactly do you think anyone gives a good goddamn about your silly little story? You're pathetic. You're not clever enough for this. After years of practice, you still have no discernible still. You are too risk averse to be creative. Who do you think you are? It's all useless. You might as well give up now. It'll never be as good as the Booker winners. It sounds cheesy. If you can't write like Tennyson or Elliot the first time round, you shouldn't try. Why does the world need another book? I can't write original fiction that anyone's going to bother to read. It's not original enough. It's too plain. It's not wordy enough. It should be perfect the first time. If anyone who knows me reads it, they'll hate me. Do you recognise any of these words? You should. Because they're yours. I asked you to tell me a judgment you have about yourself while writing and the stuff I just quoted were just some of the responses and I get that voice too I've had it pretty bad recently you know it says to me why do you write why do you write what right have you got to do this do you know how fucking stupid you look do you know how shit this is do you know it's a waste of time? It's a waste of time doing this. You're not good enough at it. You're too ill. You're too sensitive. You're too precious. You're too lazy. You can't do this. But you know what? That voice, it's trying to protect me. Because then it says, take a break. Come on. Watch some videos. Just relax. This is too much for you. Come on. You, you don't have to put yourself through this. Step away from the story. Step away from the computer. Come on now. Let's, let's, let's go downstairs and have a snack. Let's walk to the shop and get a chocolate bar. Come on. This isn't the life for you. You don't have to put yourself through such struggle. Come on, you can do it later. Maybe now's not the time. And on and on. And then later, when I don't do it, that same voice, like an abusive partner, comes back and says, you lazy piece of shit. Look at you, sat there. Chocolate bar wrapper. No work done. Lying on your ass. No. You're never going to get a story done. I was right about you. You're shit at this. You're, you think you deserve sympathy? What? Oh, weren't you having dreams about being a writer? Weren't you giving other people advice about being a writer? Who the fuck are you? Who the fuck are you? You're laughable. You know that. You're fucking laughable. You disgust me.
How da- how dare you fucking... Oh, I've got a podcast. I talk about writing. Oh, I'll give other people advice. Oh, look at me. I'm interviewing other writers. I'm talking to authors. Oh, let's be authors together. Let's chat. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, how do you do the uh, writing thing? Yeah, me too. I do some writing. Yeah, I've been doing... I've done uh, 10 minutes this week. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, I'm super great. Yeah. Oh, I'm a bit tired recently because of the old mental health, the old MH. But who? Th- that's fucking you. Do you ever listen to yourself back? Who, the, who, do, who are you trying to fool with your bullshit? Have you... Who's going to buy... Who's interested in your work? You know, that world out there... And then it goes back into the old, the old advocate again. It says, you need me. Listen, those, they won't understand your work. Out there, they're for all, they're fucking rubes and farmers. You know what they want? They want anaesthetists. They don't want literature, Tim. They want easy stories. They want stuff by celebrities. And they want easy to read, reassuring stories that challenge them not one whit. The world was never made for sensitive artistic types like you. Don't put yourself through it. Have another chocolate bar, Tim. Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name is Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone who has a morbid interest in how the story sausage is made. This show has three central struts to our writing manifesto. One, to make you write more. Two, to make you write better. And three, to make you happier while you do it. And believe it or not, despite that supremely dark opening, that is the aim of today's episode more than ever. Just as much as any other episode to make you do all of those three things. Today's episode is going to be a writing ramble. It's completely unscripted. It's just me chatting at you. And I want to say um, thank you to everyone who uh, sent in and shared with me writing judgments that they have about themselves by writing while writing i found them when i first read them painful and upsetting to read honestly i think a lot of them i recognized as things i've said to myself but it's something else to read someone else's inner monologue because it immediately reads like the inner monologue of a an abuser and a bully and I think it's easy to overstate these things sometimes. You know, we, I, I, I <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't want to, I've had, always had a, well, let's go into this, right? I've always had a resistance to, I've always felt an inner resistance when people say, let get, get rid of the inner critic. Like I spent several years in therapy, right? And when finally I was doing talking therapy rather than cognitive behavioral therapy, which is much more like someone basically just reading out a worksheet to you and giving you homework which I hated but when I had talking therapy there was a lot of talk about you know oh that's the inner critic that's your inner critic talking to you and I I have to say that elicited private reactions ranging from skepticism to sort of terror where I was like well you don't understand I need an inner critic I'm a shitbag Right. If I don't have uh, an inner critic, if I don't have someone keeping me in line, if I don't have someone holding me accountable, going to what the fuck are you doing? Get back to work, you lazy piece of shit. You don't know what I'm like. You don't know how fucked up I am. I will do nothing. 
I will do nothing for days and weeks. I know my capacity for video games and board games and browsing YouTube videos and eating snacks and dirdling around. He's close to limitless. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's true. That I would never get bored of goofing off. So if I don't have a voice in my head cracking the fucking barbed scourge, like beating the drum at the front of the galley, saying "row," I'm not going to get anything fucking written. I'm not going to. I'm not going to write anything. You don't know me. It's like it's very well for you to say be kind to yourself to other pricks right other people and then here the kind of like slight narcissism comes in i say slight narcissism i'm not even sure i need to inflect it with that qualifier but yeah then the voice goes in and goes look other people don't have a destiny like other fuckers might be able to just like spaff out a novel in a few months just kind of like half-arsing it but that's because their shit is going to be bad that's because they're going to fucking write pants novels that's because they don't really care you're working on a proper piece of art, dude. And you're a proper tortured artist. And I, I, I'm, I'm saying this sort of 20% joking as I report it back. You know, I'm inflecting it slightly, but mostly that. You know, thinking, yeah, but this is a fucking... You know, you've got higher standards than other people. Do you, do you really want to be like the other shit munchers? And this is the kind of dark side of self-criticism. Is that we... We talk about it because I think it's more likely to elicit sympathy as this thing that is only, only ever in a um, directed... And, and, I'm, you know, I dare say that that is the case for some people, that their only criticism they uh, is all sort of inwardly uh, directed and they genuinely don't have anything but admiration and sort of... Uh, love and wonder for other people it's not the case for me and I suspect it's not the case for a lot of people that if you're quite self-critical you can also at times not all the time you're not going around being like just a completely sort of like acidic misanthrope 24 sev but you have your moments where you're like I'm holding myself to a higher standard because I am better at this particular thing, thing X. You know, like, I'm holding myself to a high standard as a writer. I'm saying this is shit. Because I am better than most other people. Now, that's, you know, and that's, like, you know, better in this one particular field, right? I'm not suggesting most of us have, like, full-on narcissistic fantasies where we think we are genuinely uh, more worthwhile on some fundamental level. In fact, we often feel we're less worthwhile because on some fundamental level, we think we're broken in some way because other people are doing good at the thing they were meant to do, whatever that means. You know, they're, they're being good teachers or they're being um, uh, good in their personal business or they're being good in the job they do. You know, they're being good doctors or whatever. They're being successful in their careers. And the one we're meant to do, which we think we can excel in, which is writing, uh, we're shit at. Now, some of you are going to be listening and you'll sort of say, well, that's not my position, Tim, because I don't think I'm supposed to be a writer. I don't feel like I have permission to do it. And that's where the self-critical voice comes from for me is when I sit down, I go, I'm not 
a writer. I haven't done a course. I haven't won a prize. I haven't even, you know, done given any special sort of Herculean effort towards it. I try when I can, but who am I to write? You know, I don't, never felt I was anointed. It never really occurred to me that I was going to, you know, be a writer when I was growing up. You know, I've always liked stories and telling stories, but, it, you know, it's not, people weren't looking at me going, oh, and there's the chosen one. So, you know, my problem isn't that I feel I should be a writer. It's not like I feel I, I shouldn't be a writer. And of course, you know, self-criticism can come from, multiple vectors and it can actually be very sneaky and come from multiple mutually exclusive vectors right it, it doesn't have to be internally consistent because it's keeping you pinned down with the ack ack fire of venomous bullshit right it's just it's just being mean and so you don't have time or the willingness to go, uh, hold on, is that quite true? Because you feel pathetic when you challenge your inner critic, right? But I was scared of challenging my inner critic for a long time. And I still am. You know, I've been going through a period of self-criticism um, and feeling a bit down about myself. And I, I don't say this to sort of worry you. Um, I think it's okay to do, you know, media and performances and stuff where you say, I'm not okay at the moment. I think it's important, you know, something I got told again and again when I was doing stand-up and performance poetry and stuff is like, it's really important that you tell the audience, I'm okay now. You know, that you're doing that whole, like, Wordsworthian dictum of uh, uh, poetry being like emotion uh, 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 recollected in tranquility i paraphrase but you know what i mean the idea is that you're you're taking some turbulent moment but you're doing it from a place of safety and that makes the audience feel safe they feel like you're a safe pair of hands you're not asking them to do anything for you and you go hey i was really sad and depressed but i'm all right now and i'm gonna lead you to this place of all rightness and then they feel safe like laughing at your misfortune or sympathizing with you or worrying because they, they know you're all right now and you're not asking anything of them in the live moment you kind of defang the live moment in lots of ways and um like it works audiences you don't make audiences feel uncomfortable uh, and I think there's lots of w actually easy ways that um, forms of, you know, predominantly upper middle class performance art go, oh, we're going to like, we actually want to put the audience in an uncomfortable space. And actually, it doesn't require much craft to make paying audiences feel uncomfortable. But I do think there's some value in not making it, not always going not always giving people a get out where you go well, I'm fine so don't you don't you worry about me there's no effort of empathy necessary here or whatever I see what you know and it you're not especially if someone's like paying to see a gig and you go oh I'm really upset at the moment yeah I don't really know you know what why am I paying you to tell me this I get it but I'm just saying I'm like all right at the moment. I I'm just saying that I'm still you know processing some of these feelings, and I want to acknowledge that. And not going. I don't ever want to sort of present stuff to you as like I've solved this. If I haven't, uh, there's sometimes a pressure to kind of like dispatch stuff in a kind of like self-help shaped uh, kind of like bars of wisdom. And I that's just not something I'm interested in doing. You know, it's probably good practice anyway. So I've. I've always just worried about the self-critical voice that if I 
that it's that it's it, it it's telling me something and it's protecting me and it's helping me and to just go i'm just going to smother myself critic i've seen art put out by people that i just think that's fucking bad that's fucking bad and i what's the value of that and why why weren't you more self-critical why didn't you hold yourself to a higher standard now as i say that out loud it seems and i think it is hugely uncharitable because one maybe they did two maybe it's valuable on a vector that i on you know uh, several parameters that i'm not as interested in you know maybe they are trying to do something with their art that yes sure isn't catering to me personally but not all art is made for me personally right there's no reason it should be and i like i like stuff that if someone said this is shit this does nothing to me this give this has nothing to offer me it's doing nothing for me whatsoever i'd have to be like yeah that's fair enough like i think if you want complex layered plots and deep characterization probably don't pick up like a like a super mario game right i love the characters in super mario i you, you know as some of you know i spent a lot of time wearing super mario tees i've always been a massive mario fan right but that's not the criteria on which it's attempting to be successful it's trying to be fun it's trying to be a rollicking adventure and it's trying to give you experiences that you get to go around and be a pint-sized sort of happy-go-lucky plumber who does is good at jumping right that's fine and you've got to understand the criteria upon which it is attempting to be successful it's not trying to be all things to all people so that's immediately a couple of holes that we can punch in this self-critic who can seem incredibly incredibly convincing but like i just i don't i uh, on today's episode what i want to do is break it down a little bit because there is no sense in my saying to you don't be self-critical it's not helpful it's not helpful it's just like no fucking shit no, really oh i'll just stop i thought it was we have to sort of start actually looking at what we're telling ourselves and what's going on because it can be you know it can be on various levels from subtle to explicit um this this critical voice we've got to ask why are we self-criticizing because there's probably a payoff like it, surely it's not just something that's happening rat some maladaptive behavior that's happening randomly and also some people have it more more than others writers joke about it a lot but i think actually behind the scenes go through a lot of suffering and then put on a kind of embarrassed brave oh i think my story is shit at the moment um especially on social media you know they the we perform the self-critical writer quite a lot and so you can think oh it's normal it's also something that i shouldn't take seriously or worry about mm. and and writers seem to continue writing and i i think that there, there's a few things going on there but then that can feel very lonely for writers to go i have actually got a critical voice in my head maybe you haven't you're not published yet so you go well i've not had a book out so it's different for an author sort of uh, balls deep in the publishing game who's maybe got two or three books under the old belt of Rooney. Like, maybe for them now it seems like a joke. But to me, that voice might, you know, might be correct. 
right? Not every, not every, not every attempt at a book is going to be good. Not everyone is going to do a good job of writing. Why? What's more likely that the voice is wrong, and I'm just in some kind of critical, self-critical psychosis where I believe it's correct, but actually I'm fooling myself, or that it's accurate? You know, you you then start going. You just play some percentages. What what's the chances that I'm actually going to become a published author? Like 90%? That seems high. 60%? 50%? 1 in 2? 25%? Now if you know, a 1 in 4 chance this book might be published is still quite high, but it's more likely than not that it's not and then I I've got this sense that it's the alarm the alarm's ringing. I feel like it's not unreasonable to think it's, this is more likely than not to be not published. Why would I cling to the eye? And if it is bad, and I'm a bad writer, why should I keep going? Or at the very least, why should I keep going today? And then we got on to what Dr. Tim Pitchell, and I brought him up many times before, but he's become this kind of patron saint of the show, uh, this procrastination researcher. He referred to it, and it's not his term, but he, you know, he gave credit, but um, as intransitive preference structures, which are, I don't, I'll do this later. I'm sort of not ready for it now. I'm going to wait till I, and I'm going to do it later in the day when I'm ready for it. I'm just going to, you know, get myself a snack or something. Then I'll do the task. So it's going to be, and then oh, I'm a bit tired now. I'll do it tomorrow. And then on Tuesday, oh, I'm a bit tired now. I'll do it on Wednesday. On Wednesday, maybe it'd be better if I left this till Thursday. On Thursday, I'm actually a bit, feel like the week's gone past me and I, it would have been better to start on Wednesday. Next week, I'll start on Monday. So the the, the, the goals are always shifting because <laughs> they're always a moving target because they don't deal with the kind of pre the, the narrative present and now. They're always something that's going to happen in the future or in the past. Now, that may seem very obvious, uh, almost some superficial analysis of procrastination just because we've called them intransitive preference structures rather than putting stuff off. Intransitive preference structures is just a more oblique piece of jargon, right? The reason I think it's important is because it shows a kind of pseudo-logic in how your brain does a bad job of predicting how you'll feel in the future. And often you have a sort of unconscious algorithm mentally, a sort of metacognitive process that you go through, you know, metacognitive as in thinking about thinking, where you just check a few things to see if you're ready to write. You go, do I feel like I want to write? No, I don't. And you feel like in your chest, there's a bit of tightness, maybe. Oh, I don't feel sort of super inspired. You think in your head, do I really want to write? You look at the page, maybe you're, you know, breathing sort of like gets a bit short. Um, you look at the page, you feel sort of like heaviness in your belly. And all these things are sort of like these tiny sort of like uh, pseudo volitional movements that happen very quickly. And you go, Ooh, I'm not really up for it. And you look at maybe if you're at your laptop, you look at the page, you look at the sentence and where you've got to go on next. Do you have an idea of what comes next? I'm not actually sure. And then your brain imagines you writing the next day and you go, well, maybe. And then in your imagination, which is just completely a simulation of what's going to happen, you imagine it being easier. I'm going to be less tired. You picture yourself and you go, that, sound, that feels easier in the future. 
doesn't feel good now. Right, cool, the future is going to be better. But when you get to that future, that isn't actually what happens. You are yourself again. And you check your belly. Oh, it feels a bit heavy. You check your chest. Oh, it feels a bit tight. Oh, I'm going to... And then you, uh, you go back into the past, maybe, or whatever. So it's actually... It's a, it's a, it's a, it, it's a kind of failure of accurately simulating the future is what's going on. I think that's really important to realise um, that so much motivation um, arises. You feel more motivated when you do something. And that's like fucking so true of everything for me. I feel so much more motivated to run when I'm 25 minutes into a run. When I'm 25 minutes into a run, motivating myself to continue running is a piece of piss. It's easy. Oh, it's, I don't go, oh, how am I going to do another step? Easy. It's harder to stop. It's harder to make a decision, I'm going to stop now. If I've got a phone call um, on my, you know, on, and I've got my mobile phone uh, strapped to my arm playing me tunes, and I'm running down the road and my phone goes, and it's my wife saying, oh, could you come home because I want to go out to the sh- shop or I want to go out to the gym? I'd be like, I'd be like, oh, I'd be disappointed. I'd be like, oh, I've got to cut my run short. Um... You know, if, if if something happened to get in the way, there's a situation where having started, it's actually, the, you know, the, the, there's a momentum. Now, I know you probably, like, intellectually know this, but starting makes such a difference. And that's why, you know, the Dr. Tim Pitchell talked about, think about what's the next, what's the next thing I can do? What's the next action? All right, so I'm going to write. And I think you have to have made a series of determinations beforehand that writing or whatever the the thing is, whatever the process is, is the thing that you need to do. And that might involve you sort of giving yourself a little bit of space to write some stuff down on like a, get some a blank piece of paper or something. Or if you're worried that people are going to find it, which I always have like irrational fears that, you know, like the only person's going to find it is my wife. And she's like very supportive. She's not going to take the piss out of me unless I was like had a list of sort of major political figures or that I was planning to assassinate or uh, landmarks symbolic of uh, the Western hegemony I was planning to bomb. Like, then maybe she would say, what the fuck is this? But, like, I I still have that paranoia. I have a slight embarrassment. And, again, that's the critical voice. But you couldn't work out what you need to do. But then when you're trying to execute on that, a lot of it is about setting yourself absurdly low uh, time limits like I'm going to do three minutes of writing and br- chunking it down into like I need to switch my laptop on I need to be in the room with my laptop I need to open a word document or whatever program you're using and sort of not holding yourself to a lot of collapsing a lot of other standards so uh, when I had Dr uh, when I had Professor Richard Wiseman on the show um, mainly a non-fiction writer writing about like psychology and the mind and magic and science and all those kind of things and skepticism he's you know he talked about how he plotted one of his books like the chapter ideas and how it should go by he had the idea while he was in a in i think Heathrow, he said and he just ran to the airport bookshop bought a copy of um the da vinci code and then like because that was the only paper they had there and then wrote the plan for the book are like on the blank back pages Uh, and he said he like he's constantly got like pockets with receipts with little notes written on i think 
saying you're going to write for three minutes, but then collapsing all expectations of perfection around it and uh, ritual and... You know what, like, I'd say having ideal circumstances under which to write is one of the most intimidating things ever for me personally. Maybe it's not for you, but, like, I've always felt a little bit like that. Like, I find birthdays and events stressful um, because I feel like there's an expectation of needing to have a good time. I find holiday. I mean, I find a lot of things. I've got an anxiety disorder. I'm working on it, but, like... Anything where, you know, I like, I find romantic dinners that are special, you know, date nights, I find that a pressure and stressful in a way that I don't, if I get to just say, hey, should we go out or do you want to pop in here or something like that, then it's easy for me because I feel there was no expectation for it to be a lovely thing. And so, and, and so it's easy for me to just take whatever happens as a bonus does that make sense and so when i'm writing if i'm writing in suboptimal conditions you know like on a train on a bit of receipt in the back of a book you know on the app on my phone which i, I do think is genuinely not great because it actually slows down your my writing speed in a way I, I, that quickly becomes tedious but for all other scenarios, and I still try not to let that stop me, there's a kind of level of permission where it's like, well, of course, this is going to be shit because who can blame you? You've got like a safety valve, right? Where you're like going, well, look, this isn't ideal, but I'm just getting stuff on the page. Whereas when I'm on retreat, when, well, the rare times I've, I've got like just acres of writing time in front of me, a quiet room, the laptop open in front of me, a mug of tea or coffee and a whole morning ahead of me. Often that time just fucking crumbles. Often my procrastination or fear just expands like quick setting packing foam into whatever space I've allotted for it because I've really got no excuse left. There really is nothing between me and the story. And I'm scared, honestly, of being tested at my best. I want excuses. I want ways out. I want to be I want I want to be able to say, well, can you blame me? You know, I'm a dad, I'm tired at the moment. You know, I'm looking after my daughter. That seems you know, because like saying I'm you know, I'm I actually only work part time. I spend part of the time you know, like with my daughter, bringing her up, playing with her, taking her places. That seems kind of like that makes the kind of failure seem virtuous, right? And you're like, well, actually, I'm being a dad. So you can't blame me. Blame. Who exactly do I think is blaming me? Who are these judgmental voices that I can see from what you've told me? Not just me. Feels. These voices of blame of scolding of condescension of derision of sometimes i wonder what if you have an uh, an inner critic or a critical voice i wonder what that voice sounds like to you i don't know whether it's actually got an audio component when you hear it whether it's your voice or whether it's just you just have an it's funny to think about isn't it or you just have an apprehension of words are you thinking in actual sentences you know, do you hear it? Is it just 
you know, what is that? It's quite trippy when you start doing this kind of metacognitive stuff where you go, what? You're thinking about your thinking and going, how do I actually hear that voice? When does it step in? And what does it say? I think... And like, I, I, I don't want to give you too much like homework or things to do because I'm very aware that I never do those because it's too much and I'm kind of like life is cycling on and on. But I can give, I can suggest some stuff to you that maybe will spark thoughts in you or will, you know, a few provocations that, that, that start processes and then you can go from there. I can't sort of be there with you all the way. I want to say, though, that I sort of support you and wish you all the best I'm, I'm happy to be a sort of an advocate for you in this but this is work that you will have to do on yourself or um with the help of friends or you know if you've got access to therapy then that but um but you can do it on the page and you can do it with yourself and i, I want to ask you when you listen to that voice what's it saying and could you as a creative writing exercise ask yourself what is a judgment I have about myself when I'm writing? And then write it down. And then keep going. What is a judgment I have, I'm, I'm having about myself while writing this? You know, what... And, and writing that voice down and transcribing it. Because I think catching it is the first step to engaging with it, Right. I am not suggesting that there is an actual separate entity within your head <laughs> called the inner critic sitting in its fucking opera box like Statler and Waldorf in the Muppets, like heckling you. Uh, and it's literally something that is meaningfully divisible from you, the person, right? Um, it's It's shorthand here for a set of tendencies. And I think actually it's an important revelation at some point uh one that sometimes people come to through meditation or you know sometimes i imagine through psychedelics not something i'm sort of investigating myself but i've certainly had the experience through meditation where you realize that that voice isn't separable from you and is you and that's a weird moment you're like why am i saying this to myself i don't have to say that Ugh. and 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 you can't really just know that intellectually you have to apprehend it. it it you know it's the difference between um you know seeing a lightning bug and being struck by lightning um it's 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 pretty it's pretty weird but what i'm saying is like if you start writing it down you can start to see what that voice is saying because often it's so painful what it's saying that you just stop the activity before it really gets much of a chance to get going and before you can actually engage in with the criticism. In a way that you would never take that shit if it was just some fucking rando. If you imagine those words being said to you by a douchebag in a writing group, you'd be upset, sure. You might fear that they were true, sure, but you would also think that person was an asshole with a personal grudge. You'd also get upset. You'd also get angry. You'd be like, who the fuck do you think you are? What a thing to say to somebody. But we take it from ourselves. We don't even sometimes realise we're doing it. But once you write it down, you can then start engaging with these things. You know, a critical thought I often have is this isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. You are shit at this. 
and I can write that down and I can look at it and the first you know there's a few questions you can ask yourself when you look at these critical thoughts so you know five or ten minutes of writing them down listing as many as you can really going deep and letting the voice actually activate as you're writing and criticize your writing of the critique you can also do this meet usefully in pair work with somebody that you trust I think it's important that it's somebody who you are comfortable being vulnerable in front of um but you can both you know if you've got a writing friend who you can do this exercise with and you can report them verbally and the other person can write them down and then they can read back yourself criticism to yourself to you that's a fucking powerful experience that is hard i don't generally get writing groups to do that when i'm working with them because it makes people cry quite reliably um but if you want to choose to do that with someone you getting someone else to read out your self-criticism is intense it's hard uh because it it lays it naked in a way it, it the all pretense of these things being fair or trying to protect you are, are is gone it's like it just feels like a, an abuser yelling at you and it's that's rough <laughs> so you know try and do it with somebody who loves you dearly i would say um so you can start asking yourselves questions like a really good one is what do i think the effect of being told this is likely to have on my writing that's what i'd ask you is what do you think the effect of telling yourself these things is likely to have on your writing do you think it will make your writing make it easier to write do you think it'll have no difference on writing or do you think it'll make it harder to write there's a simple unloaded question right do you think telling yourself this as you write is making it the process easier having no effect or making it harder do you think these things are entirely accurate or a better question actually would be okay on what authority are are you coming to these judgments how do we know this is true and or why do you believe that and follow it and i would say continue asking okay can you show me some proof for that okay and why do you believe that and can you show me some evidence for that can you think of any evidence to the contrary can you think of any evidence that argues for the opposite position or for a are there are there any alternative explanations for what we're talking about here okay so you can start asking questions like that the idea is not you know I, and i've heard some people who have you know their approach to that self-critical voice is you go fuck you how dare you do you never fucking speak to me like that how dare you i'm better than that look i get stuff wrong yeah i'm not the best writer in the world i don't have to be like i have a right to participate as a human being a unique human being in this world i have the sovereign right to create if i want to and tell stories i am no less entitled than to that than any other human being 
who wants to do it. And frankly, my doing it does not impinge upon anyone else's ability to do it. It's not a limited resource. This is something I can do and I can add to the world and I can explore my understanding of the world. Am I doing it perfectly? No. Do I make mistakes in of style, uh, mistakes of content, mistakes of ideology? You know, sometimes do I say things? Yeah, sure. Does that make me a bad person? No. And are they unfixable? No. So you can fucking say this all you like, but what have you created ever? Critical voice. What have you ever created? Eh? Like, what have you added to the world? Who are you to say this? How do you think you're helping? You create nothing. You create nothing. You don't do anything. You're so scared. You're so, so scared. You, you are right. You are terror incarnate. You are so afraid. You are so desperate not to upset people. To be liked, to be praised. You're so worried. Oh, what will what will the popular people think? And you don't have to be. You're trying to protect me because you are were hurt, or because you are afraid or angry, and you think if I don't, if you stop me from trying, one, if you feel threatened, right? When you see me doing this, doing stuff that you couldn't do, that you felt too scared to do, that you were too hurt, that you were bullied out of, when you see me doing it, it makes you, it makes you sad. It makes you, it brings up regret for you. For all that wasted time, it brings up shame. Why couldn't you do this? It brings up resentment and fear because you see that I'm going to make the mistakes that you did. That's what you see it as. You're going, you're going to get hurt. And so part of you is trying to protect me. Part of you is trying to stop me from doing it because you don't want to believe it can be done because you feel if it can be done, then you are a failure. Then you failed. And I'm here to say to you, critical voice, I, I, I forgive you. You know, I understand what you're trying to do. And I, I, I feel viscerally the pain that you feel because you're such an effective communicator. You are so good at rhetoric and persuasion that you've just transferred those feelings into me. My goodness. Like, I feel that fear. Oh, I feel that jealousy and envy. I feel that just dead weight of depression. That wet bag of sand in my stomach. When I think of what a mountain I've got to climb with my book and how no one in the publishing industry is going to want to read it and readers aren't going to like it if they do and... I haven't got time to write it and I'll only screw it up and it will it'll come out wrong. I feel that. You've done such a good job. Ironically, critical voice, you are great with words. 
you know exactly the right words to to sting me, to make me feel down, to discourage me. My gosh, you're so good at that. And you're so good at persuading me to go off and, you know, have a little snack. You see, and I understand, critical voice, I understand that you want to protect me. We all want to do that around people we love, right? They, they say they're going to do something, they have some ambition. It's, it's scary to hear. They say they're going to go off and travel. They say they're going to change jobs. They say, I think I'm going to have a go. At, I want to become an actor. They say, I'm going to go back to university. They say, I'm going to move house. They say, I'm going to like learn a new skill. And, and, and part of you worries for them, you know? Part of you says, I don't want you to go out there into that cold world that isn't as invested in you as I am. I love you. I know that you're unique and special because you are. You're a miracle and there's only one of you. There's only one of you. And I want you to feel validated and I want you to feel happy. But the world doesn't feel like that. It doesn't care. It's got its own things going on. It's worried about you know how it's going to get its own money. They have their own favourites. And you're going to go out into that and they're not going to love you like I love you. They won't. How could they? They're adults. And they've got their own shit going on and you're going to go out there and you're going to you're going to take out your heart and you are going to unscrew its very core and you're going to pull out something delicate and beautiful and very very brittle and precious and They're going to knock it out of your hands and they're going to grind it under their heel and laugh and then forget. They don't give a shit. And I I can't have you going out there. I can't have you going out there. So stay with me. Writing's not for you. I mean, no offence, but writing's not for you. Stay. Don't go out there. Don't let them crush your heart. I don't know what your inner critic says to you, but I know it is no small thing to ask of people to forgive and empathise with and perhaps even make friends with an abuser, even if that abuser is... um, a voice inside your own head. I've had to come to terms with the fact that I've had relationships or interactions or friendships in the past that have been, at some level, emotionally abusive, have been unhealthy. And... I don't say that with sort of judgment to the, against the people involved and I'm sure I've hurt people and been unkind and been selfish and, you know, done things as well. Um, you know, human being a human is complicated and, and we fuck up and we have to really sincerely try to be better, don't we? But 
it's just a lot of work for you to take those people and go, you know what, I'm going to open up a room for you in my head and I'm just going to full on simulate you. For the rest of my life, you don't have to do that. Your view of what the world is like may be wrong. We build these heuristics through which to kind of like understand the the world and the universe based on very limited data very limited there are huge gaps in your knowledge that you we don't realize are like filled in by the tv and the internet and like case studies of like six angry people on twitter and you know what you how you were feeling this morning they're inflected by all sorts of biochemistry that's going on for you today depending on what you ate how hungry you are you know what point you are in your menstrual cycle or uh whether you remember to take your meds yesterday or whatever's going on for you right and and we are surprisingly comp you know confident about our judgments around the world and it's about the world you know and about the publishing industry the number of motherfuckers who've got really big opinions about how to query and what the publishing industry wants and the state of readers right now who have not spoken to a single fucking agent face to face in their lives who like know who follow like three editors on twitter were regurgitating sort of second third hand received wisdom from just the loudest motherfuckers in the room not the people who are most right not the people who will say here's evidence here's proof one proof two proof three here's here's my working just people who say stuff that maybe chimes with your basic sort of prejudices about what writing is. Because we love those little fucking threads on Twitter where someone goes, hey, 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 let me tell you what, let me tell you. It's called, um, I read an article that described this as buckle up Twitter type threads where they go, let me tell you what they won't tell you about the publishing industry. Let me tell you something that's been suppressed. Let me tell you a little secret about how writers really work. Those threads get much more traction than... It's complicated. There's nuance that I can't quite convey in a single pithy statement. Sometimes this is true. Sometimes this is not true. I... I, 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 I think it's... Uh, I, I, it's, it's so fascinating to me to I, i'm thinking of like shinreo suzuki the uh, zen teacher uh who was um he 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 described his sort of one his one of his dictums for uh talking about zen and buddhism was uh not always so this idea that it's true sometimes but it's not always true and it's just really a kind of caution against taking sort of clinging to absolutes too much i don't think you can ever really get away from the critical voice or not have it and i want to be clear that if you are carrying baggage carrying a voice from a difficult relationship with one or both of your parents an abusive relationship um, unkind friends, bullying experiences, sort of traumatic early experiences, 
I am not suggesting that you are stupid if you don't immediately reach a an accord with that voice and embrace it as your friend. I am not saying that at all and it's a lot it's a lot of work. But I think as a first step we can realize that that voice is there and we can stop treating it as our boss and we can stop treating it as our enemy. It it, it it's neither a deadly opponent trying to thwart us at every turn nor is it our line manager who we have to obey otherwise we'll get fired it's an aspect of ourselves and it's painful to realize that we have once we're you know once we're empowered through knowledge and some kind of emotional strength and perhaps outside support it's painful to realize that we have control and a certain amount of responsibility for what that voice says to us but i think we can begin to shift our relationship to it and we can recognize when things that other people say things that we read experiences we have trigger that critical voice and work here on the supposedly frivolous art of you know writing a story writing a poem writing a novel whatever is work that these lessons you can fucking take these to the emotional bank these can see you right in every aspect of your life in your relationships they can make you more compassionate to other people because you'll start to realize you'll see people you see their expression change, you see them become irritable or distracted or withdraw and you will realise they are not listening, they're not present anymore, they are hearing that critical voice in their head. And it can make us more mindful of other people's experience of the world, it can make us more compassionate, it can make us loving. Because I'm sure you've also got kind voices in your head as well, things that you tell yourself that are lovely ways that you can focus on the world i mean like in the i know i always come up with my neuroscience bullshit on this show now because i've spoken to like four neuroscientists and i've been reading a neuroscience textbook this week which largely what the experience is doing is is making me realize how little i know and how incredibly who knew brain surgery complicated business um but it you know common current sort of like in vogue at the moment current explanations is is when you're kind of like in that ruminating state when your hippocampus is calling up memories and they're making your amygdala your amygdalae fire uh, in the temporal lobes so your hippocampus is the bit that's like finds sort of memories and they to my understanding at the moment i'm probably wrong um and then your amygdalae fire the sympathetic nervous system the fight flight or freeze response and you start starts pumping out adrenaline and cortisol in response to a threat that is actually an emotional threat from your past but that ruminati- ruminatory place where you people get depressed um is a series of parts of the brain that sort of collectively referred to as the default mode network um it's also unfortunately the place where we do a lot of daydreaming and where creativity rises from but at the same time um it's the place where 
spending more time your brain having stronger connections and spending more time in the default mode network is um is uh is correlated with higher incidences of depression um so one thing that helps find a balance and it's not as black and white as that and actually i've got an episode coming up where i chat to a neuroscientist about that and he points out that different areas can fire for different reasons and it's important not to be sort of all or nothing about this or say oh if you're in the default mode network that's bad or that's good or whatever but when you go into sort of more focus mode when your attention is on something as it would be when you say meditate um for some of it anyway you'd be training that part of the brain um, you're less likely to ruminate and your subjective experience of time becomes uh longer you know think you you you, lo- you have less of a sort of time sink where hours disappear as you sort of daydream um i think it's important when we think about these things to uh remember that your biology is not destiny what fires together wires together um these ways that you think about yourself are not facts. Like, I know you know this. And, you know, putting yourself up for a course of meditation can help. I'm investigating the neuroscience of medic- meditation at the moment because I'm... I've got this crazy idea and I'm just going to put it at this point of the episode because, like, if you listen to this, you're a friend. Don't tell other people I'm doing this because it's still sort of I'm working on it. But I'm not. It's not announced to the world. But at the moment, I'm working on a book proposal where I might try and write a book about anxiety and specifically defeating my own. This past weekend, I had multiple panic attacks. I've been much more anxious lately. I think because the book coming out and my perception that it's not that the ice house hasn't been doing particularly well and just feeling burnt out and worried that I'm not going to be a writer anymore. All that kind of fear, and so immediately I've gone. Oh, well, the answer is to do more work. But I am genuinely interested in fixing my own brain or my own body or my own mindset. Um, I have, you know, worse kind of panic disorder and generalised anxiety disorder than anyone else I know. So if I can figure this shit out, then hopefully there's some things that I can pass on to other people. And I realise, you know, there's various sort of presentations of neurodiversity and different people have different issues and not everything that works for one person you know meditation is a pretty difficult place to go if you have say a psychotic disorder or something like that where you're going to be you're sticking yourself in a situation with voices in your head that could be extremely unpleasant um i know that not everything works for everyone and we start from different places and we have different amounts of free time or money or availability or different social pressures um but i'm interested in it and then and looking at peer-reviewed stuff looking at various studies looking at meta uh uh, 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 sort of meta analyses of studies and actually speaking to experts um with degrees to work out how i I think i'm a pretty intelligent person i think i can you know teach myself some of this myself but I'm also an enthusiastic end user of the aforementioned faulty equipment. And I know there's also a lot of pioneering um, treatments at the moment that are uh, that haven't fully gone through uh, sort of double-blind trials yet, haven't achieved that kind of gold standard of approval, um, that maybe not all of them are fully like legal at the moment. 
that I would still like to explore and see if they're worth my trying um, to bring different things in from different fields because and and just road test them on myself. I'm that desperate at the moment. I'm not going to do anything sort of super um, dangerous that I don't have some information on. I'm not going to do anything expensive, so don't worry about me. But because um, I know that you're all love that you're lovely, right? And I get emails saying, "Tim, don't start." <laughs> <laughs> don't cut out parts of your brain i'm not going to get uh my amyg- amygdala removed they're really important for empathy they help us model what other people are thinking they help us deduce trustworthiness people who've got lesions on their amygdala these are the bits that cause you anxiety they're you know they're probably part of the source of the ruminating in a monologue that's criticizing you right but these are that your amygdala um it, people who don't have them find like find it very difficult to know what is a risky situation find it very difficult to gauge trustworthy and untrustworthy faces they're easily ripped off um it's not it's tricky and that's this is what i'm saying about the self the critical voices it's partly a warning it's partly trying to help you you might find the uh i think we had um Paul J. Zach on the show, the uh, uh, sort of uh, neuroeconomist, he calls himself, talking about oxytocin and its effects on trust and how it's released in the body. So the two sort of like love neurotransmitters are oxytocin and vasopressin. If you can like have a cuddle with somebody before you start writing, if you can do something nice and relaxing, if you can... I know it's difficult to get sort of like a massage, but if you can look at a video of puppies for five minutes before you start writing as a kind of ritual. And it, and it depends whether you are a neurological super responder, whether you're, you know, not everyone releases oxytocin in the same uh, way. But if you can find ways to release those kind of like feel good neurotransmitters, um, generally referred to with the acronym DOSE, so dopamine, oxytocin, uh, serotonin and endorphins endorphins are often released by like things like cold showers which you know of um uh, sort of, uh, uh banged the drum for on the show before and I, i've started lying on a spike mat to release a few sort of pain endorphins um it's all right it's not not great but um it's a better nails mat if you want to look that up online these big plastic spike mats are um, very uncomfortable at first and then progressively less uncomfortable those things might help they might help reduce that voice which is partly you know a chemical response um you know adrenaline uh is is you know an antagonist to a lot of the things that help creativity so if you're feeling what if you're feeling stressed and you're releasing cortisol and adrenaline um then that stops the production of oxytocin, which makes you feel safe and trusting and sort of more empathetic. Uh, it make it harder to write. So that critical voice, I mean, there is no doubt, right, that critical voice is making it harder for you to write. It is not achieving what it sets out to do 
if it is telling you I only want to make you write better so I'm trying to warn you about stuff it's not helpful it's like someone in the back seat backseat driver going oh have you checked your lights are you okay do you think you need to stop for petrol oh what's that car what's that car what's that car it's it's actually splitting your attention in a way that makes you write worse and then because you write worse then it starts criticizing more and it makes the problem worse and it's just this ever it's like this doom spiral of self-criticism so you have we have to work out ways now if it's trying to say you shouldn't write at all you can do some work to say is writing something that's going to be valuable for me right now you know i've got this eight week course if you haven't done my couch to 80k writing boot camp eight weeks with 10 minutes a day now part of the reason i only i broke it down to 10 minutes a day is so that voice has got less purchase in like are we wasting our time are we wasting our time time yourself do 10 minutes a day i've got my you can sign up for my weekly uh creative writing uh a weekly writing workout a te- you know a brand new 10 minute exercise every friday in your inbox again i'm not just saying that to sort of try and sell stuff to you it's free i don't get anything out of it except it's got my name at the bottom and i often have like a, a link to my books at the bottom of the email but one thing it will do is just just start getting that tiny little edge that a little bit of writing and start slowly acclimatizing your emotions and your brain all these things to the feeling of writing and realizing that not so much bad happens when you do it you know like i think that having a executive function that comes in and says so should we have a look at this and see what we think is good, what we think is bad, uh, you know, where we could improve? That's super positive, right? That's crit- criticism, right? You, you can have criticism that's really positive and helpful. I've, you know, encountered some really great, great creative writing teachers, creative writing mentors. I'm actually thinking of, of one um, amazing sort of poet mentor and poetry teacher i know called uh, jacob samler rose based i think in london who i've seen mentoring poets i overheard him mentoring them and he was and actually i've been in classes that he's done as well and he's 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 so good at it he just had such a good tone and angle of of asking brilliant questions encouraging people to be analytical work out what's good in a poem maybe things that can be done better but doing it in an entirely positive way not saccharine not rose-tinted glasses not pollyanna-ish sort of flattery but unself-indulgent practicality it is self-indulgent to constantly criticize yourself and uh, the danger of my saying that is you then turn that into another rod for your own back and you start going oh i'm self-indulgent i'm self-indulgent you're a wonderful human being you're allowed to make errors sometimes i absolutely give you permission to not do things perfectly and to have emotions i'm not don't mean to kind of like criticize you for that but you can be do not let your inner critic convince you with the with the lie with the absolute falsehood that to unless you indulge its hectoring spiteful personal 
deliberately hurtful, discouraging barbs, unless you, you know, give it a platform to fire them at you, that invective, um, you're not going to have any sort of critical or analytical process. We can do that, but we've got to make it non-toxic. We've got to make it non-shitty. You can talk to yourself and go, okay. So so first, when you're writing, um, when you're creating, when you're coming up with stuff, you know, there are, it's important to have a small part of your practice where you genuinely go, okay, the critic is going to be, where I'm actually going to not use that voice because it's a distraction. It's not helpful for idea generation. So when I give people list exercises, when I give people free writing exercises, we are genuinely trying to write from a place of kind of like slightly unfocused, just freedom, just like subconscious, blah, 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 improv. And I think that is fine. I think it's very valuable. Um, because the, you don't need an evaluator in that. That splits your attention. And I, I want you to give all your attention to your writing, to creating, to coming up with ideas and picking some and putting them on the page. Now, you can't have completely no criticism because if you have completely divergent thoughts with no with picking between them, then you won't write anything down because you've got to choose which of your thoughts you write down. But um, you can certainly very, very, very limit that critical voice and just go everything that comes into my mind, I'm writing down. You can have that, right? It's a really useful thing. And then when you're writing your first draft, to a certain extent, the critic's function has to be, you have to be tactical. You have to pick your battles. And at times you just want to focus the, your full mentation on what word do I have next? What's this scene about? What might this person say? Oh, I'm going to imagine. You don't need to be running diagnostics on the piece of writing as you do it. That is going to, you know, to continue the uh, uh, sort of computing metaphor, that is going to take up processing space. That's going to slow your computer down. That's going to distract you. You don't need to be running this kind of virus scanner while you're, while you're running the main program. You can do all that shit later but it gets in the way it actively makes harder the activity you're trying to be to excel at by having this kind of evaluatory phase which comes out of perfectionism which comes out of anxiety and fear of going is it good enough let me check let me check let me check you don't have to please everyone you are you are wonderful and valuable and enough already you are enough you are a good person. You are valuable. You contribute to the world so... I can't even explain to you how precious you are. You know, like, you are the only you. And as a human being, you have inherent worth, inherent dignity. This writing we do, is it, it, it's something for you. And it's a gift to other people. And you may have more or less successful days in trying to create the thing that you've got in your head. And it's a process of learning and it and self-enrichment. It is not it is not a down payment on your right to exist. It is not you you don't come into this world having taken out a fucking mortgage on self-worth that you're then having to pay back through acts of creation, acts of charity, acts of, you know, service in relationships or whatever. You don't have to do any of that. And I, I feel this so passionately. 
that you, you also are worse at all of those things when you start thinking about of them in terms of obligation rather than in terms of personal choice i'm not you know i'm not negating the existence of social uh, responsibility as a a thing that we can usefully think about and remembering the ways in which we might be lucky or privileged in our lives of course i'm not saying that i'm just saying that that being feeling guilty feeling miserable is not in itself an intrinsic moral good so if you are if that is the way you justify it to yourself fucking let go of it okay it doesn't make your writing better and then later on you can start once you've got some stuff once you've created a first draft and of course it's 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 nuanced and it's tricky sometimes because sometimes you stop at some stage you're feeling unhappy with something and you look at it and you go actually maybe i can take a couple of steps back and take the story in a slightly different direction i feel like it's gone slightly off the rails and doing sort of vague um outlines beforehand where you go well this is where i want the story to go you know giving yourself a page or so of outline can be helpful to uh, lessen the chances of that but of course you can you may sort of course correct Uh, so some evaluation will happen but i think you can do that strategically and you can do you know you can say okay i'm going to write up to twenty-five thousand words and then we're going to stop and we're going to sit down and I'm going to lay out my little picnic blanket. I'm going to have a sandwich. And I'm going to look at how far I've come on the map. Am I following the course that I planned? I'm going to look at what I've done. And we can make some decisions. And we can ask ourselves, how am I feeling about this? How's it going? What's gone well? What surprised me? What have I been pleasantly surprised about? What am I... Do I feel has been less successful? What do I what, what do I think has been difficult? You can ask yourself questions, and that is all criticism. That is all self-criticism. That is all doing the work of self-analysis, of asking yourself the big questions about your work. No one is saying you shouldn't do that. Or maybe maybe some people are, but I'm not I'm not advocating I'm not advocating that you just become this kind of heedless ninny sort of gallivanting into the minefield i'm saying to you if you want to self-criticize don't fucking kid yourself that just this kind of spiteful mean bullying that you're doing to yourself is achieving that goal it's not in fact in lots of ways it's a way of avoiding the uh, the work of actual genuine robust analysis of your work i have no doubt that you can write a publishable quality novel i have no doubt you might not want to which is fine like you're a sovereign human being that's fucking great most human beings live wonderful worthwhile valuable lives that impact so many people they are inherently enough and they never write a single word of a novel it's not something that anyone needs to do to be worthwhile but what i'm saying to you is if you want to do it great let's look at ways that we can help you to because the happier you are the more you will write the more you write the more practice and training you'll get so the better as long as you're paying some attention to what goes on the more you write the better you'll get the better you get the more of a sense of mastery you'll have and so the happier you'll be um the happier you are 
person so the happier you are the better you'll get the more you write the better you get the better you get the happier you'll be and the better you get the more you'll write because you'll enjoy it and perhaps you'll even be paid for it so all of these things build on each other in what we're going to call a um, virtuous spiral you they all feed in to this central sort of twisting rope of you having a great time that you deserve because you're a wonderful person so just to recap consider asking yourself the question what is a judgment i have about myself when i'm writing consider writing down that in a monologue consider asking yourself that what's a judgment i have about my right myself when i'm writing write it down thank you what's a judgment i have about myself when i'm writing just get those things down and as i say if you can if you've got writing buddies it's really really useful to have somebody you trust read them back out to you it's fucking rough <laughs> but it's useful otherwise you could email it to yourself you could put it on the screen in a different font you could put it into a voice synthesizer thing online you know like google talk or whatever it is and have that read it out to you i think it's important to hear these things then you can start interrogating some of those assumptions you know on what authority do i believe this are there any other explanations for that is this and most importantly of all i just think this is just such a fundamental one because it slightly undermines some of the inner critics professed purpose what what effect do i think it's going to have on me to hear this while i'm writing Will it make writing easier have no difference or make it harder and i think you can do these sort of 10 minute little exercises where you explicitly go i'm going to tactically and uh, not have the inner critic on here because i want some to free up processing room to create inner critic you're going to get to step back in a little bit you can have that conversation with the inner critic like um you know i i i did earlier on where you have a think about what positive what the payoff might be and you ask yourself where that voice might come from where you might what, what point in your life you might have picked it up i think a lot of our sort of inner criticism comes from a point in childhood maybe an adult figure who was not who was a bit anxious themselves and wittingly or unwittingly passed down some of that anxiety and i know this is something i'm particularly conscious of as a father now and as a father with multiple anxiety disorders um and it also means i'm not entirely unsympathetic to the people who pass those things down because i, I just don't want to add to their struggle by going and now look at you you destroyed a child it's because that's just playing the inner critics game we can also show that um i should just say that dr tim pitchell did did show a study that shows that self-compassion cor correlates with lower procrastination and the more self-critical someone is of themselves the um more that they will begin to procrastinate because it becomes harder to reflect on the inner processes 
that lead to procrastination because they're associated with pain and guilt and lack. So the kinder you can be to yourself, the better able you are and the more empowered you are to work on these things and these habits. And finally, um, you can start replacing that inner critic once you've you know, made peace or at least quietened or or even shouted down if you're not at the place yet where you can sort of um, reach an entente cordiale with your inner critic, then you can, you know, you can just shout it down and say, fuck off, and fight it down as if you were fighting away a vicious bully of a child that you love and care about and want to protect. Maybe that bully, you know, later on could have somebody look after them and say, hey, why are you being such an asshole to kids? But for now, your priority is to get that, make that child know that they're protected and attend to their needs. And it's worth actually asking yourself, what are my emotional needs when I write? What are my emotional needs? To feel a sense of mastery? To feel like I'm a competent person? To feel good? To feel like I'm not wasting my time you know like that could be a good way to check in myself what what are my needs in this in this activity you know what am I, what what am i coming to the activity for in the first place what did i think i was going to get out of it and then finally i think you can replace some of that in a, in a critic whenever for whatever reason you've you know given given yourself a small break from it you can also reassure that voice by saying look and here are the evaluatory protocols that we're going to introduce these are actually much more rigorous at points you know like twenty-five thousand words in or when i finish the first draft of the short story and these are the criteria which are going to be like what's gone well what you know what pleasantly surprised me what how did i deviate from what i planned um and what hasn't gone so well what my areas of concern are there any notes of stuff that i need to you know paint up to go back um, things to think about before I go into the next thing, areas I need to research. You can be super rigorous, but you can be rigorous in a way that's going, I fucking want you to finish this and this to be brilliant. So I am your advocate. I'm on your side. I am your friend. I am your wingman. I am your fucking lawyer who's going to bail you out of jail. That is what this inner, you can change that inner critic to an inner advocate. They're not just they're not being a yes man they're not being a toady or a, a, a fucking flunky who is too terrified to tell you sire sire uh dire news my lord my liege i the the plot has escaped you will pay for your incompetence that's not the relationship we're going for you're not trying to subjugate you're in a critic you're trying to turn them into a powerful ally. I think I'm done. I think that's I think that's all we need to chat about today. That was interesting. I never plan what I'm going to talk about. So um, it's nice to have been able to do this. If you like the show, three things. Uh, you know, it doesn't have any sponsors. So three things are, I've got a two books out at the moment. Uh, the Honours and The Ice House, they're books one and two in a fantasy series. I'd love it if you went online and bought them, buy them for friends, for, you know, gifts if you want. Any Anything like that helps. And if you like them, please go on to places like Amazon and leave a review and a star rating. All of that stuff just bumps me up in the algorithm, really helps. You know, I that would be great 
if, if you know if you've enjoyed the content today um and you've read any of my books that would really really help uh secondly uh i've got a coffee page uh, ko-fi.com forward slash tim cloud put a link in the show notes if you want to drop me a few beans to um help me cover my hosting costs and my website costs uh that really really helps i like i don't get paid anything for doing this show so i sort of do this in time that i could be writing and so any support if you find this content in any way helpful really just allows me to continue doing it and and finally uh you know share this episode with other people follow me on twitter at timclairpoet.co.uk i've got a facebook page which i think is just tim Clare, but i've got an author page on there if you want to follow me on there um i'm on instagram but i'm mostly posting pictures of um board games but anyway those are the three things i really appreciate your support i hope today's been helpful and you know you can drop me a line via my website timclairpoet.co.uk there's a contact me button uh, a lot of you've been writing to me i love receiving your letters um really appreciate hearing how you're doing with your writing and just your life in general so um yeah get in touch let me know what you think upon this topic or others uh, anything else you'd like me to cover in the future and i just hope and i sincerely can sincerely wish you uh, a fantastic week of not just writing but life week of 